Broadcasting from Oklahoma, the tornado capital of the world, home of the Oklahoma City Thunder and the University of Oklahoma Sooners. This is the Curated Experience Show, a weekly podcast about the customer experience with viewpoints you will not hear anywhere else. And now your host, author, and customer experience expert, Amas Tanuma. Welcome to the Curated Experience. I am your host, Amas Tanuma. If this is the first time you're listening to our show, you are in for a treat. Our show has one mission. We help you get intentional about your customer experience. And whether you define customer as a coworker, the general public, other employees, we are here to help. We've got a great show for you today. Today, I want to talk about outsourcing. And I've got a really, really special guest that I'm going to introduce here in a minute. I know outsourcing is a touchy subject. Everyone has an opinion on the matter. There are so many so-called experts out there today. But what I want to do today is take the emotion out of it and really focus just on facts. But before I go further, I want to introduce our guest today. We have Nick Jiwa with us today. Nick is a really good friend and founder of a company called Customer Serve. Nick, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Amas. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for doing this. We've been I've been wanting to get you on for a while now and excited you're here. So just to give people uh, some context, um, you know, tell the folks uh, who are listening quickly a little bit about you and, um, and what you do. I'd be happy to. So as, uh, as you said, I'm, I'm the founder of Customer Serve, uh, and I've been in the contact center outsourcing industry for, gosh, for as long as I can remember, uh, about 28 years to be exact. Wow. And um, about 10 years ago, I founded Customer Serve, which, which is a company that is all about partnerships and building relationships. We, we uh, really focus on the, the science of selecting the right outsourcing partner for a client's uh, specific needs. Um, and uh, if you have any specific questions about our company and what we do, I'd be happy to answer them. But, it, but in general, uh, that's, that's uh, what we're all about. Thanks, Nick. So, 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 Nick, you know, you mentioned you've been in this been in this industry here, um, you know, going on thirty years now. You know, what's what has kept you in this industry for so long? Uh, I thrive on not knowing what's going to happen every day. There, something new happens in our industry every single day. It is a nonstop train that just keeps going, and and I mean, it just keeps going. We. Also, I love the fact that we are a, a global industry. You know, I can I can get up and at 7 a.m. talk to uh, one of our outsource partners in the Philippines, and at 10 o'clock I'm on the phone with somebody in Honduras, and then at noon I'm on the phone with somebody in, in St. Lucia, and then talking to somebody in Iowa. So, I mean, throughout the day, we we are we I, I I feel like it's it's sort of a mini UN. You just you just deal with people from all walks of life in, in many parts of this world. Now that's 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 there's never a dull moment. It sounds like for sure. Never. <laughs> so, so to so to set set things up and really delve in here, you know, we have folks in the audience who are not in the industry as you and I, and sort of live and breathe it every day. Uh, and some of our audience members, by the way, are consumers and customers. So, so help the sort of the layman sort of understand why do organizations actually need to outsource to begin with? Well, that's a that's a that's a good question, and um, I, I can't say that I am the smartest person in the room as to 
explaining and describing, you know, why a company needs to outsource. Because in all honesty, not all companies do need to outsource. I think that a lot of companies that do outsource have to do it because they, they, they simply can't run contact centers internally as, as efficiently uh, as an outsourcer can. And I, and I think that, that the, the reason why we exist is because we're helping to solve a problem. The problem is, uh, you know, customer engagement, managing the customer relationship. And, you know, you have to look at companies out there like Apple. I mean, what is their core competency? They're a, an amazing technology company, but are they an amazing customer service company? I mean, there, there, there's a distinction there. And so having the best products in the marketplace doesn't make you the leader in customer experience and customer service. And so I think that a lot of corporations have recognized this and and would, would, would rather, you know, solicit the help of outsourcers uh, that, that can take, take their uh, focus off of, you know, being in the contact center industry and, and just focusing on the, you know, great products that they, that they manufacture. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more, right? So you've got to pick your sort of core competency. So, so, so to really sort of dwell on this, on, on, on that question of, you know, why and how, let's go into the, the how, you know, so I've got friends, um, in, in you know, like you in the contact center space and in customer experience. And I got to tell you, when I, when I talk to clients who do outsourcing, they find the whole thing painful, not, not everyone, but generally it's, you know, 50, 50, you know, a lot of people find it painful. And, and when you talk to them, it really starts with finding an outsourcer. And as you know, in a past life and we go way back, I used to find outsourcers all of the time. And I, I would probably describe it like dating, except like it's like finding a spouse blindfolded and drunk at a bar. So it's like the whole process feels, <laughs> feels just broken. So I, I'm just going to you know, put you on the spot here and go, you know, why is, you know, why is it, why is it broken? Why, why does it feel so broken? Are you referring to, uh, the, just the, finding, the, yeah, the, the matchmaking process. Yeah. I, I, you know, so, I mean, do you have, do you have a whole week? I mean, I, I can, <laughs> I can literally talk on this subject for a very, very long time. And I, I know our time is limited here and I, I want to respect the, 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 the time of those individuals who are listening to, to this. And look, at the end of the day, the, the, uh, the make or break in an outsourcing uh, endeavor is the selection of the absolute best outsourcing partner. And I think some companies do that extremely well. I think some companies are, are very diligent and, 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 are, and are very savvy in how they identify and select and retain outsourcer relationships. Remember, it's a three-step process. It's not as simple as just going out to the marketplace and doing an RFP and you know, just picking whoever's out there. Although a lot of that does happen. You know, I think the smarter organizations have a, have a great process. But let me share three, I think, main concerns or main issues that, that I believe are really impacting the outsourcer selection um, process in a negative way, which, as you know, picking the right, uh, picking the wrong outsourcer will lead to a lot of the complaints that we hear about in the industry. Right. <clears throat> and so... Um, Number one, I think that the, the contact center industry is approaching $200 billion, according to IDC. Yeah. I mean, let's just, let's just be honest. It is a massive, massive industry, and it continues to grow. And in this industry, every single day, vendors are bought, sold, merged, and created. 
And, you know, whether you're a chief customer officer or a director of contact center services or a quality assurance manager, I mean, it doesn't matter what your title is or, or where you are in the organization. On the client side, it is virtually impossible, even if it's your full-time job, it's virtually impossible to keep up with, you know, an industry that moves at the speed of light. Yeah. And it's it's sort of like you're, you're getting all this input from, from you know, the BPOs that are calling you and selling their services and you're, you're listening to podcasts and you're going on webinars and you're attending trade shows and you're listening to your peers. Well, at the end of the day, who can you trust? And where do you find the best outsource partner solutions? So I think, number one, it's, it's just, it's just a, a, an industry that, that, has, that has become, I, I, I think it's totally chaotic and out of control in terms of growth and, and just the amount of information. And, I, and point number two I think another main reason why the the outsourcer selection process breaks down is, is simply, uh, you know, what I like to call the default syndrome. And I think a, a lot of clients, whether you outsource 10,000 seats or 1,000 seats or less, oftentimes you end up picking an outsourcer that is the most visible, most in-your-face, uh, most, most obvious selection. Well, why, why would you do that? And I think a lot of larger outsource buyers don't have a choice. They need size, scale, horsepower, bandwidth, they need infrastructure, they need a large global footprint. And so they have to go with the larger players. I get that and I respect that. And the larger players in our industry, they do have a great job. I mean, they didn't get to be that big because they, they, they're, they're, you know, they're obviously doing something right. right. But I believe that in our industry there is a, and I know a lot of folks agree with me, but there's a growing sector of middle tier or mid-sized outsourced BPO companies that offer clients the best of both worlds, which are scalability and flexibility. And the more clients I talk to, the more they're telling me that, you know, I, I wish I could find more companies that can really care about my business but really scale at the same time. And so the challenge here is even though these mid-sized companies are undoubtedly taking market share away from the bigger BPOs, the, the, the challenge really is how do you find these mid-sized players? How do you vet them? Where are they? Who are they? What are they all about? Many of them don't have, and, and this is by design, but many of them don't have the market presence of the Gartner-ranked providers. So I think that's the second issue, which is, you know, uh, defaulting to the bigger outsourcers are really, you know, taking the time to find uh, somebody a little bit smaller that can still get the job done. And then I think the third big issue in our industry that's that's causing some of the breakdown between between the the client outsource or selection process is, is simply this. I think the due diligence process is just flawed. Right. And I don't want to make blanket statements. That's not the case at every company. But in the train wrecks that I've seen, um, it's it's consistent. So I'll give you an example if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I just had an outsource partner. Actually, this happened today. Okay. This outsource partner lost a deal that they were a perfect fit for. I mean, just an absolutely perfect fit, like two pieces of Lego. They lost this deal because the client made 10 vendors go through an RFP process, <laughs> only to end up going right to the pricing page and picking the lowest bidder. <laughs> now, how many times does, does that happen? <laughs> I mean, you, it happens a lot, right? Yeah. And so. And mind you, Amas, this price was so ridiculously low that I cannot understand or, or even believe, knowing what labor costs right. and, and, and operations cost, I, I can't believe that this particular onshore provider can execute at these rates. And what shocked me 
is that this client would be would be foolish enough, and I, I'm sorry to, to sound uh-huh. insulting, but would actually do something like that and, and just go right to the lowest bidder. You know, you and I have talked at length about the RFP process and how maligned it is. Right. You know, and I think that purchasing of supply chain, they they need RFPs because they have to have structure and the vendor selection process. I respect that. I get that, and 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 I know that that we live in a world of of um, you know corporate governance. I get that. But if you solicit bids from 50 vendors, knowing that 70 or 80 or even 90 percent of them don't even qualify, then why bother? Right. And wouldn't it make sense to vet out a shorter list of highly qualified candidates beforehand? And so, you know, let, let me just end end this this part of my of my um, discussion by saying that I think that if clients really want a low price and that's all they want, they need to stop going out there and talking about how they want a partner. You don't want a partner. You want a vendor. <laughs> exactly. And if you want a vendor, then you should go out into the marketplace and do a reverse auction and, 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 and just go out there and say, hi, we're offering our business at this price. Who wants it? <laughs> right. Right? And, and, and by doing that, you'll just narrow the list of the people that would you know, drop their price below fair market value to buy your business. And then you're going to get what you pay for. So... So aside from, from this, this uh, process, I think that as, a, as an industry, we just have to be much more creative in how we analyze prospective outsourcers. I think the old tired methods are not working. Right. Um, I know because oftentimes, oftentimes you know, clients come to us to replace their, their you know, previous bad selections because they used the due diligence process that was flawed. Yeah, now I'm, I'm with you. And, and so let's, let's stay on that and, and, and go forward to... So now there's a relationship that's been formed, and so as you know, I've I've been on the outsourcing side. You know, I you know I worked for Converges for years, and you know I've you know been on the other side on the client side, and I've hired outsourcers myself. And now I'm in the in in a place where I sit in the middle, and when I'm in the room with outsourcers today, you know where there's an issue, they by and large tell me, ah, oh, my client's an idiot. Uh, and when I'm talking to the clients, they're like, ah, oh, my outsourcer is an idiot. I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but you kind of you kind of get the drill. So I want you to sort of play play shrink here a little bit. You know, you know who's who who's right? Um, and 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 frankly, how do we how do we fix how do we fix the outsourcing? I I get the sense that not not the majority of people are happy. How do we? How do we fix things? You know, Moss, that is an excellent question, and I and uh, it's a problem, and 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 it's a problem that I have been addressing as an entrepreneur like you in in the middle of the client and outsourcer relationship, you know, forging partnerships, and I have a I have an interesting perspective because. You know, I, I do feel like I'm I'm playing shrink to <laughs> okay. both both outsourcer and client. I, I and I actually enjoy it. And and one of the things that I've that I've come to understand in our business is, you know, both client and outsourcer are guilty of having preconceived notions. I think both oftentimes go into relationships with a lot of baggage from previous relationships and then psychologically they expect the worst and they expect each other to act like their previous bad relationship acted and so it, it just becomes a, a cycle of dysfunction and again I, I this is not the Dr. Phil show I get it, <laughs> right. but, but but that's exactly what happens and I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to play referee in those situations and I'm not talking about just first-time outsourcing buyers and smaller outsourcers. I'm talking about the bigger companies. I mean, it's 
it, it happens a lot. And I think that the solution to that is, you know, really setting expectations up front and early in the process. And, and even before that is, is just understanding who you are and what you want. Understanding, you know, as a client, this is our culture. These are the types of outsourcing relationships we need to match our culture perfectly. And as an outsourcer, you have to be selective. You know, I know you have seats to fill, and I know you have revenue numbers to meet. But if you take on a client relationship that isn't a good fit for you, and then you complain about it, it's your fault. And, and so I think that both sides have to do more vetting up front. Right. And I want to say that I, I just, I'm tired of people saying that we want partners or that we want to be partners. I think we all need to look up what that word means, okay? <laughs> right. Stop throwing it around. It's the latest cliche in our industry. Everybody wants a partner. But I, I think less than 10% of outsourcing relationships are really partnerships, okay? And I blame both sides for this. Clients go around calling for partners, yet they treat vendors like vendors. I'll, I'll give you another example. I, I, I just heard a very large and savvy outsource buyer. I mean, this, this company outsources probably you know, 50 to $100 million a year. One of their key executives called the outsourcers the hired help. Oh, my God. Hey, it really, it oh really God. upset me to hear that. Oh you, my you know, I'm, my background is I've been in this industry a long time, and I used to be on the phones. I started off as an agent, and so I have a soft spot for, for agents, and I, and I really took offense to that. And I, Obviously, I wasn't in the position to say anything, but you know, I, I think that uh, from the client side, I think that, that anybody – who who hasn't held a customer service or telesales job should get on the phones, go through training, and get on the phones and really understand what the frontline agents go through. In fact, I know I've joked with you about this before, but there should be an undercover boss reality show for the call center industry. <laughs> I, 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 right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the company MBNA, MBNA Bank? Yeah, well, they, they, you know, massive Delaware bank, you know, they... Well, back in the 80s and 90s, they were a very much a very much a phone-based culture, and that meant that means that everybody in the organization had to start off on the phones. Hmm. Even C-level executives had to start off on the phones, and it. I'm telling you, they were they ended up they really got a a first-hand and, and front-line understanding of what it's like to be an agent and. You know, I'm biased because I know, you know, that's where I started. And I, I, I have worked in the trenches, and I, I, I know the value of what that's done for me in my career and, and really understanding what they go through. So when it comes to, you know, calling each other an idiot or blaming each other for our relationship going south, I think we have to be more introspective and really understand what are we doing to, to, to contribute to, to the relationship going south. You know, our, did we set false expectations? Did we Did we... Do we drop our price too low? Are we paying too little? Do we do we have you know unreasonable demands? Are we not building enough chemistry? Are we not doing enough team building? You know, I just last week I, I had a, a large transportation client that that uh, you know I think you'll love this, but <clears throat> they care so much, and this is an iconic brand in the U.S. They right. they care so much about how their outsourced contact center agents feel and how they how motivated they are that they. Paid. They 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 did a one week retreat here in the U.S. and got their outsourcers to send several representatives who came in and and in and, and for one whole week they had a, a series of meetings and trainings and team building and activities and you know I can't tell you how much that helps and yeah, I think the clients need to do lot. more of that. 
Yeah, no. I mean, that's that's right there. That that's what partnership is all about, right? You know, treating you know equals, right? Uh, as opposed to the contrast there with the hired help view view of the world. Exactly. So so um, and if you're just listening, if you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to the Curated Experience, and I have uh, Nick Jiwa with us. Uh, uh, Nick um, is the founder of a company called Customer Serve, and we've been talking about outsourcing. So. You know, we've I've we're being intentional about making sure we're, we're catering to some of the customers and end consumers who listen to us. So I want to bring them into this conversation a little bit and really talk to you about some of the feedback I get. I think outsourcing and particularly international outsourcing has been a scapegoat uh, to the point that uh, when consumers hear even the term, uh, it's associated and blamed for every everything that's wrong with, with, with customer service. So why is there so much negative feelings uh, as it relates to outsourcing um, with, with end consumers everywhere? Well, Moss, another great question. And, and, and again, in the interest of time, I, will, I promise to be as succinct as possible because this is a subject we can talk about for hours, if not days. Um, I, I think we have to make the distinction between outsourcing and offshoring. And I, even our political leaders don't make that distinction. Outsourcing is you know, the outplacement of a business process, whether it's onshore or offshore. And, and offshoring is placing the work outside of the United States. Right. And, and, and that includes nearshoring as well. So I think that there, there are negative perceptions about outsourcing in general, but I think those perceptions are rooted in actually in offshoring. Right. And, and I think, <clears throat> I think that <clears throat> when, when we have customer experience issues like, uh, like the ones we hear on the news, the, the, the recordings of bad phone calls, a lot of those have to do with poor training. And as an industry, we have to do a better job of, uh, of, of coming up with training modules and processes that limit the, the, um, uh, the, uh, the pain and, and reduce the pain, I should say, for, for the customer. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not going to mention any company names, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a customer of a large cable company, and, you know, I happen to know people at this cable company, and, and you know, if I didn't know them, I probably wouldn't want to call the call center because every time I call, the experience is not, you know, and I'm from the industry, I don't like it. You know, it, it, I feel like, thank God I'm knowledgeable and I'm a, I'm a knowledgeable customer. I, I know call centers and customer service, but if the average customer calls these call centers, I can understand why they're, they're upset. Right. As soon as they hear the accent, they're, they're already on the defensive. Exactly. Okay? And on top of that, it just turns into a yelling session if, if, you know, if the agent doesn't understand them very clearly or their aptitude listing skills aren't there, if they can't resolve the issue. I mean, it, it, just to put it in simple terms, I have a problem. I'm calling you because I'm paying you. Just fix it. Right. You know, I want to watch, uh, you know, The Walking Dead. Just fix it. You know, or whatever. And, and I think that we, we are overcomplicating this whole thing. I think we need to go back to customer communication 101 and really train our, our agents better in how to resolve the customer's issues and give them the right tools. You know, if, if, they're call, if, if you're customer service and they're calling you about a non-customer service related issue, well, don't make them go through 12 more IVRs to get it to the right person. Exactly. I mean, it's just simple things like this. And, you know, you, as an industry, we, if you're going to do NPS scoring, if you're going to do CSAT scoring, take the data and make yourself better. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. 
Uh, Nick, I want to pivot a little and, um, you know, I've, you know, I, I wrote this post on LinkedIn, you know, um, I, was, I was pleased, got, you know, thousands of people to see it. And um, I really talked about, I think it was titled something like the end of customer service jobs or the end of, end of jobs. And I make this argument where I, I talk about a future with less jobs. I talk about driverless cars, eliminating truck drivers and on and on. And I got to the service industry and I basically argue as technology gets better and artificial intelligence, et cetera, there will just be less jobs. And um, I got plenty of feedback around that. And um, some people thought it was um, it, it, it was um, pessimistic and, and what have you. And But I, I, I am of the view, and we're all trying to predict the future, so it was right, that there will be less call center jobs. I always just want to get your thoughts. It's a little bit off topic, but where, where do you see where do you see the um, the call and contact center space going as it relates to having people work in it? Well, do you remember when automation was supposed to replace the oh, line yeah. one oh, person? Yeah. That that never happened. Do you no. remember when we were all saying that the internet was going to replace call centers? That never happened. Yep. And now everybody's saying that social media is going to replace call centers. Well, I don't see that happening. I mean, I. I think your view is, is, to be honest, I think it's a bit doom and gloom. I, 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 I don't think that the traditional contact center is ever going to go away because if you look at this from a consumer behavior point of view, right, let's look at our population. You've got a, a growing millennial population. These are tech-savvy people. They hate dialing a number to call a call center. Right. <clears throat> they want to text. They want to email. They want to chat. They want, it, they want service issues resolved via social media. Well, how do you think those issues are resolved today? They're all resolved in a contact center. Exactly. And whether the contact center is providing voice services or non-voice services, it's still a contact center. Someone has to monitor your social media. Someone has to chat with you. Someone has to respond to your emails. And it's, it's not some, some robot in, in, you know, in, in space that's doing this. It's, it's an actual live person. And so I just don't think that, that the, the onslaught of social media I, or any of this, I don't think that the traditional contact center is ever going to go away because no matter what changes in, 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 in business or in technology, I view that the, the contact center is always going to be essential. And I think that it's going to change a little bit with time and, tech, and, and, and improvements in technology and, and you know, new, new concepts and new ways to engage the customer, but all roads will always lead back to needing somebody uh, to initiate that customer engagement, and that somebody is in a contact center. Yeah, and, you know, I think the human need for person-to-person interaction, um, I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to change. Nick, you know, um, you know I've, I've known you for many years, and you're one of those people I admire and um, and root for because and I've and, I, and I've seen you at work and I've and I've seen you and and, and growth over the years, uh, but I want to give give the audience a little more context. I I, I want to tell the audience we're both New Yorkers, but how did you um you know you mentioned you you started as a as a rep on the phones um you know tell tell the folks who are listening a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today. <laughs> Well, I don't want to put anybody to sleep, but I'll, <laughs> so I'll make it real quick. You know, it, it, it was the summer of 1986, and uh, you know, I just graduated from high school. And I got I got to send a shout out to my high school, Forest Hills High School in lovely Queens, New York. Um, you know, a friend of mine took a job at, at a call center in Manhattan, and, and he, he he said, "Hey, would you like to make some extra money?" He referred me in. I was only 18 years old, but you know, that's how it all began for me. It was a summer job 
which turned into much, much more than that. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and I didn't know this was an actual industry and that this was going to be my vocation in life. I was just trying to make some extra money before I started college. And so, you know, back then, if you remember, there was no Internet. Everything was antiquated. You know, just ask others like me, who you know, pioneers, if you will, who started in the 1980s and 90s, and they'll tell you the same thing. And, you know, talk about career path, okay? We talk, talk about career path all the time, right? That's one of the RFP questions. Tell us about your career path initiatives. Well, I'm, I'm a living example of career path. It's of how you nurture someone with potential, someone that, you know, is, is a rising star. And I have to thank my mentors. I have to thank the, the people that, that, you know, um, uh, helped me sort of get, get to this point in, in, in the outsourcing, you know, in my outsourcing journey. Here I am. It's been 28 years, and I'm still enjoying the awesome ride. You know, I'm, I'm 46 now, and my entire professional career has been in the customer contact industry. And so, you know, I've, I've had I've had great success. I've worked with amazing people. I've, I've met quite a few characters along the way. Did, did I ever tell you that Blair Underwood was a call center agent in New York City? Oh, wow. call center that I managed. Yeah, before he, you know, once he made it, to, I think it was LA Law. I think once he once he landed that show. Um, we never heard from him again, and, and, and rightfully so. But, yeah, I actually managed Blair, Blair Underwood for a summer. Wow. <laughs> so at the end of the day, Amos, I've seen this industry evolve from a small, fledgling, you know, boiler room type you know, contact center or call center operation back in the day and to, a, to a massive global industry that has just permeated every conceivable business process that you could think of. You know, it's the call center and the, or the contact center, it's really a people center. And I think that is the one constant. No matter how much things have changed with technology and process, it's an industry rooted in one-to-one communication between customer and agent. Yeah, no, I, well said. You know, um, you know, just to kind of kind of recap, you know, um, you know, we've we've learned a lot today. Um, you know, you know, we've learned when an outsourcing relationship is set up for success, it could be a win-win for all parties, and and when it isn't, it can be a, a real cluster. Uh, Pardon my French. We also learned that Nick hates the blind RFP, and uh, for good reason. You can't argue with him there. Really, it's about um, you know really do, uh, working with a shortlist um, and really be more like the title of the show: curate um, who you want to who you want to screen, as opposed to this blindly sort of spraying and praying something good happens. Uh, and probably most importantly, um, you know, it's a people business. Uh, and, and Nick, you know, I'm so honored to have you have you on, and, and thank you for doing this. Where can people find you online? Um, how can people uh, reach out to you if they have um, further questions? They want to further this dialogue. Well, our website is is customerserve.com. That's customer serve with no e at the end. And uh, uh, my number is two eight one four five six three six four nine. That's my direct line. Um, if you have any questions or would like to chat about the industry, I, I uh, look, look forward to speaking with you. And Amas, I want to thank you as well. This has been uh, a lot of fun, and I hope to do it again in the future. Absolutely. We will take you up on that. Thank you so much for doing this, and uh, we will talk to you soon. And for you folks out there, thank you for listening to the show today. I invite you to join the conversation on, on our website, on my blog, amastenuma.com, A-M-A-S-T-E-N-U-M-A-H.com. There you can listen to other episodes. Buy my book, The the Curated Experience, available on Amazon or at retailers everywhere. And until next time, remember the experience is either random or intentionally curated. Thank you for your time. Have a good day.
Thanks for listening to the curated experience with Amas Tanuma. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll join the conversation online by visiting us at curatedcx.com or at amastanuma.com. That's C-U-R-A-T-E-D-C-X.com or A-M-A-S-T-E-N-U-M-A-H.com. And please invite your friends and colleagues to visit our website or iTunes where they can check this and previous podcasts. This has been a Beyond LLC production. Check us next time for another edition of The Curated Experience.